Hello and welcome to the Mullet Over podcast with the Dr. Richard Mull, who is distracted. He's texting. I was halfway through a text when you said, okay, we're ready to go. And I'm like, I got to finish this. So I got it out. <sighs> That's my bad. I'm sorry. Yeah, I no get problem. nervous when we have a guest on that my dad's going to start talking to people and start asking questions to him and use up all the good material <laughs> before we start the podcast. So I usually go pretty quick to get started. Yep, just dives in. So do you want to go ahead and introduce our, our guest? Yeah, excited to have Sam Dorman on. And uh, I remember when he first called me because we get a lot of interesting calls. What he does, what we do, do is outside the box. And so and one of the things we've talked about is you have to vet people. You have to go, how real is this person? Because we're, ta- we're going to be talking some today about SRA, satanic ritual abuse. And Sam is a young man who is um, an investigative reporter and uh, has begun that journey. So at first I'm going, is it someone trying to spy on us? Because that, <laughs> and, and that sounds like crazy, but it's, we'll see hopefully even in this interview today that I'm not just weird sounding, but I'm about to say your voice <laughs> is fading. It is yeah, fading. It's strug- I just, my text was to a small group tonight saying, I'm not going to be there because of this. So, um, but, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to this interview and, and, uh, Sam's journey and what got him into all this stuff. So welcome, Sam. Thank you guys. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad to be here. Um, I remember meeting you the first time in, uh, in Florida, wish I could be there right now. <laughs> I'm sure it's pretty hot there though. A little been, bit. Uh, been going yeah. home in Florida for a long time. So, Yeah. Where are you from? I'm from Northern Virginia. Uh, okay. I'm currently like further out west now, um, and it's just like it's a lot colder than I'm used to. So, <laughs> okay, I definitely miss going to Florida. Oh yeah, good weather. Yeah. All right. So, so you're an investigative journalist. Is that is that my dad's title for you? Is that how you title yourself? Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm a journalist. I do investigations into different issues. Um, uh, more recently, I've been focused on trafficking. Um, and satanic ritual abuse. So, so how are those two connected? Yeah, let's say, how do you get into that? Yeah, um, answer his question first. We'll get. <laughs> how did I get into it? Um, yeah, it's a long story. I would say, you know, I was I was pretty interested in trafficking and um, covering things like prostitution when I was um, I was on a news outlet before this. So I'm like a freelancer now and kind of work for different outlets, but. I was at a bigger outlet before and just uh, I was mostly covering abortion, fetal tissue trafficking. Um, mm-hmm. I started getting more interested into, uh, you know, trafficking more generally and just kind of had heard about, um, you know, some of these secret societies and some of their activities, but wasn't really sure about connecting the satanic element to um, to, to trafficking. And so... Yeah, it was just kind of a, I guess, a thing that I felt like I had to overcome and was asking God for some guidance on that and um, ended up watching a documentary where they interviewed a trafficker and the trafficker described having satanic clients um, who would come in and, and you know, participate in tra- child trafficking. So um, that was a that was a pretty big turning point for me. <laughs> I think I was that, that documentary just was pretty shocking to me as well. And I really just started interviewing victims, reaching out to people, and yeah, it's kind of gone from there. How many victims have you interviewed? It's hard to say. I don't know. At least a few dozen, I would say. No. Yeah. Um, What's something that stands out to you from all of the different people? Um, I think two things. Like The first thing is just how long-lasting the trauma is. Um, and we can talk about you know, the idea of false memories and repression and things like that. But, uh, you know, these people are living with the consequences of this, these things. And I interview them and, you know, some of them want to maintain pseudonyms or they, you know, they're not, they're not doing this to get attention, I guess is what I would say. Yeah. It's not uh, not attention anyone would want. Yeah. It's, and some of them are afraid to even come out because like that, you know, they think their perpetrators are going to re-victimize them. Mm -hmm. And so, I think it's just 
it's really th- this whole experience has been really eye-opening for me just in understanding how the mind and the soul works um and richard i think you said this was really interesting when you talked about i think it's in first timothy or james one of those where it talks about you know having a double-minded person and that being evidence of i think some kind of soul fracture right yeah and, mm-hmm. yeah i think that makes a lot of sense and um it's just it seems as though there's not really a lot of credence given to this this concept of dissociation and, and fragmenting of the personality. But I think this is a huge area where trafficking survivors are going to start being almost like modern day prophets and that they start revealing things to to us about <clears throat> trauma and the way that even just every day, you know, even if you haven't been trafficked, the way that your mind is is coping with certain situations. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's something that like I think most people to a degree disassociate. Like, you know, like uh, I think there, a lot of people will mention things like, "Hey, when something gets really stressed, I put on Netflix. I get ice cream." They're trying to like not feel those feelings. They're trying to push it away, push it aside. People use different kind of you know coping mechanisms. What these people go through is so much more intense, so much more extreme. It's like a it's like a magnifying you know lens on on that kind of yeah thing. yeah. Yeah, I think that's true. Um, yeah, and then I guess the other thing is just like how widespread. Yeah, it's just been striking to me how widespread all of this is, um, and uh, it really just seems as though. Talk about this, that. What? It, how widespread do you see it? <clears throat> well, I think it's in all kinds of institutions, right? Like, I mean, more more recently, I've been investigating. Um, the Salt Lake area and talking to a lot of victims in this area, it seems like there's a lot of clustering of victims in this area, which people said, you know, a lot of this, it goes back to the LDS church and there's questions about the founders ties to Freemasonry and things like that. Um, so I think that it's, I think it's in multiple denominations. I think it's in, uh, different secret societies, you know, you hear victims talking about going to government buildings. Um, and this was like all over the country that I hear this. It's not just from people in Salt mm-hmm. Lake. Or, We've know. been hearing it for – it's interesting because I've been doing this kind of ministry. Well, not this kind of ministry. I've been doing healing and deliverance and stuff like that for 25 years. Mm-hmm. But it was uh, over 10 years ago, I would say. I'm not sure exactly how many years ago, but in, in that time frame – where it became front and center for us. And in that time frame, the number of clients that come here from all over the world, from every walk of life, from every denomination almost, like even some of the biggest named churches in our country. Um, and and, and I'm, in some of those churches, the pastor has nothing to do with it whatsoever and wouldn't have a clue that this has gone on in his church. Um, but there are other places where it's church leaders. Well, it, actually, there's a, a decent number where somebody involved in a leadership position at church, not a lead pastor. Um, I am sure we are going to come across that, and we probably have. But now that it, now the people that are coming to my mind, was it like a senior pastor? I, although I'm, I would guarantee that I'm not thinking of somebody that is, but a lot of times it's children's work or a worship leader or something like that. Who's also involved in satanic stuff. Is that kind of what you're seeing? Yeah, I think it's all different levels. And um, like, for example, the, the recent article that I published in the Epic times, I was interviewing the case manager for father Ripperger. Who's a, uh, he's an exorcist and he deals with satanic ritual abuse victims. But um, the case manager was even saying, you know, they come across people where they can essentially tell that their perpetrators are people within the Catholic hierarchy. So mm. um, like cardinals or bishops. Yeah, um, we hear that a lot. Yeah. And so I think it's uh, like I'm Catholic. And so obviously yeah. I'm not against the church as a whole. And I don't think that the church, right? really any church, I would say, you know, most of the Protestant denomination, I'm not going to say that they're like inherently satanic. I think that there's obviously issues with with people with i think what happens is that these groups infiltrate or yes yeah well and there's 
Another thing that we deal with a lot is pretty broken people who were molested as children end up becoming Christians and getting involved in uh, missions, church ministry, whatever. Mm-hmm. And they don't they, even know yeah. their level of brokenness. And the next thing you know, they're, I mean, some of them have been high up in the hierarchy of different major, everybody that's listening that's a Christian would probably know some of the organizations high up in leadership and they were molesting people. They love Jesus. Yeah. They witness because we got to minister to these people and that's devastated their life and it's their choices. But they're like, I do love God. I do follow God. And and I don't know why this happens until we're dealing with the broken, the fractured soul and they're recovering memories. Well, some of them have memories already of stuff that I like. I can't fathom just their normal memories in childhood are beyond my wildest dream. And that's before we even do what we call broken soul. Yeah, I think I think this whole topic is really interesting for sort of understanding the mind of a perpetrator. Um, because I think even victims will tell you that they think their perpetrators are dissociating at some level when they engage in mm-hmm. certain yeah. acts. And yeah. it's true, you know, I'm not trying to absolve anyone of responsibility or culpability, yeah. but I think right. that even in, for example, the Utah case, if you look at the documents in that, you have the some of the alleged perpetrators at least one is, is sort of like suggesting that they may have been programmed. They're saying like, I, I'm open to exploring the fact that I might've been programmed. Um, we deal a lot with mind control programming and stuff like that. Right. And uh, so, yeah. I mean, yeah. even, even just it, what the government puts out, the government, like the, when they did their research, they said the average person who's molested as a child will molest four people in their lifetime. That's mm-hmm. underreported. You have to imagine it's an underreported statistic that you don't even know all the people who are molested, but just from what they're able to prove, that's like the average. So you take out agendas, programming, all that stuff, bad root, bad fruit, good root, good fruit. When, when you have that, that trauma that goes unhealed, you know, it's, there's, there's, you know, there's brokenness there's, that needs to be healed. Yeah. Well, and victims talk about participating in rituals and things like that because they're forced to or because they yeah. feel, this, you know, they feel coerced. And at what level, you know, I mean, it's because they've been exposed to violence, right? So they they have this implicit threat behind whatever they're told to do. Um, and some of it might be more explicit, you know, where they literally say, if you don't do this, I'm going to hurt someone. So their children, their parents themselves. Um, yeah. Th- there's threat behind so much programming. Um, and early on when people that have been programmed, they are, um, they're forced. They're put in a situation where you either inflict pain on this person or this person or yourself. And how does somebody make that choice? You know, and, and, uh, and, and that kind of stuff is done over and over and over again. Right. Well, and they can't really, I mean, they have to dissociate because it's such an extreme situation that they're not familiar with. It's like they're shocked into submission, I think. Yeah. Splitting off a part of themselves. All right. So can you tell us a little more about some of the investigation investigation you've done into this and some of the stuff that you found and, and the research and that kind of stuff? Because it's one of the things for us to talk about our experiences and people we've talked to. It's another thing for that kind of stuff that I think really puts a lot of I, – I, I've read some other people who've done investigative things. It's really put, you know, um, put it into perspective on how real and everything going on. So is there anything you can share about that? Yeah. Um, I mean, so it's, it's hard to get evidence for any of this, right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I mean, I think that the survivor's testimonies are very compelling and especially when you have, for example, multiple people coming from the same family talking about their parents, for example, being a part of a satanic cult, or, um, you have multiple people talking about the same perpetrator. Mm -hmm. And, um, so it's, you know, I'd say my, my investigation, the extent I've been able to investigate is there hasn't been a ton of physical evidence that I've been able to find that doesn't say there, that doesn't mean there, there it doesn't exist right like therapists talked about receiving physical evidence um, there's a study in the 90s I think that talked about receiving physical evidence although ended up <laughs> noting that there wasn't a, enough to prove some kind of extensive network of um, the of satanic cults that are were acting together to commit these crimes um, 
you know, I guess like where, where I've been concerned is like, I've mostly just been trying to interview victims and see what's out there. And, um, so that, that's mainly what I've been focused on. And I have, I'm currently working on a story just about the trauma and healing process and trying to understand, um, how the mind works and how it reacts to these types of, um, crimes. Um, there is a really interesting case in Utah right now, and um, it's uh, surrounding a therapist or a former therapist who was accused. It looks like there's lengthy victim statements from his daughter accused, or multiple daughters accusing him and his family and uh, prominent members in the community of being a part of a satanic cult within the um, Church of Latter-day Saints, so within the Mormon Church. And, um, you know, it looks like they're corroborating each other extensively, you know, talking about, it looks like even talking about the same events at times, um, talking about similar elements, you know, the same perpetrators, things like that. Mm. Mm. How do you find different people when you interview them? Because like you said, it's not something that most people want to, they're not posting on social media, hashtag I'm an SRA victim. How do you go about finding people to interview? Um, I, it's usually just through word of mouth and, you know, I'll interview someone and say, is there anyone else you think I should talk to? And mm. usually they know someone or if they don't, that's okay. I usually are, you know, I'll go on YouTube and look at testimonies and reach out to people that way. Okay. Um, yeah. So. Interesting. It takes a lot of courage for people to come forward with that. For sure. Cause it is pretty unbelievable. Yeah. 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 yeah, it is. And it's, that's what I usually tell people, you know, if you're, if you want to talk to me, I'm just, well, I, I just want to learn at this point. And so mm-hmm. it's, if you just don't want to, you don't want me to publish anything, like we can do an off the record conversation or it can be anonymous, something like that. What percentage of yours are anonymous and don't want anybody to ever hear it? And what percentage are um, open to it being shared? Hard to say. I'm not sure at this point. Yeah. Um, I'd say most of the interviews that I do at least start off anonymous or off the record, and mm-hmm. then you know you kind of you can talk later about what sorts of things they want to share more publicly. How has this impacted your heart, your mind, your life? Um. A lot of ways. It's. Uh, yeah. I feel like this past two years has been a just a roller coaster of really just trying to grapple with all the things that the survivors are saying. I mean, you hear things that I've, I've interviewed people that are a part. They've been abused as part of what seem to be local covens, all the way up to you know CIA, um, military mind control. Um, and then you even hear things beyond that in terms of UFOs or aliens and mm-hmm. you know, secret space programs. And that that's, I haven't really been able to interview as many people involved in that um, type of environment. But um, I think it's also helped me to make sense of a lot of things. And uh, just in the sense that, you know, we're all, all these things were sort of mentioned or a part of ancient cultures and then it seemed as though they mm. disappeared. But it it's it makes more sense if you think about them as just going underground. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you just you just see things within the political atmosphere that seem to not make sense. And it's it's almost like I, I think I was at this point where I was covering major news and involved in you know the everyday news of politics, and just something just seemed off. It just seemed weird, and you kind of wonder what's beneath the surface. And, um, you know, like, for, like what's going on with Jeffrey Epstein, right? <laughs> or why is it that we, um, approve like the mass slaughter of preborn children throughout mm. the country every year? You know, mm. why is that being pushed from the highest levels of government? And, uh, yeah, I just think <laughs> there's, uh, that when you start talking to victims and you hear their stories and, the things that they describe and the way that these cults work, you start understanding the mindset behind some people in elite positions and, and what their, their interests are. 
and then yeah, I think that. Have you served, have you um, interviewed any clients that were um, victimized by um, people high up in our government or Hollywood or anything like that? Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm trying to think. I mean, I've I mean I've interviewed Kathy O'Brien, for example. You know, oh yeah, I've talked to her a fair amount. Um, and she, she names all kinds of people within the government. I would love to get in touch with her. Um, if you can ask her permission, but if you could share her contact, not right now to yeah, everybody, yeah. but yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm just going to yeah, ask yeah. you right now cause it's in my mind, but, um, <laughs> yeah, I want to get in touch with her. Sure. Yeah. I can, I can reach out to her about that. Well, really so our ask. audience doesn't know Kathy O'Brien. Tell tell me a little bit about what you know. Kathy is. From what I can tell, I mean, so the media likes to talk about Michelle Remembers and Michelle Smith and that case in Canada, um, which I think Michelle Remembers did predate Kathy. But I, I sort of see Kathy as the main whistleblower for MK Ultra after, you know, the 70s and the, the hearings that took place then. Um, and she came out with the Transformation of America. Um, she came out with. There's, she, she released, I think, three different books, including one on how to heal. But her basic story is that she was sold into um, MKUltra and this pedophilic satanic ring within the government um, by her father, who she thinks was, I think, caught because he was he was participating in a pedophilia ring or participating in pedophilia and child porn. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, she names... All kinds of people: George H. W. Bush, Ronald Reagan, um, a lot know. of the biggest names in the political arena are in her story. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Robert Byrd. She says he was one of her. He was a former senator. She says he was one of her main abusers. Um, who else? And she was married to him, wasn't she? Robert Byrd. I don't. I think she was. I don't think she. I, she. So she talks about exiting that whole situation with the help of an intelligence agent um, and his name, um, uh, Mark, I think that's his name. Yeah. Yeah. And, and help in getting his help. But I don't know if, I don't think she was married to Robert Bird. I could be, could be wrong about that. Yeah. I may be wrong, but I think so. But yeah. Yeah. And one person that she names is Michael Aquino. And uh, <laughs> I think there needs to be more attention paid to him because she isn't the only person I've talked to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, there's a, a lot. A military general. Right. He was a military general, or he was high up in the military. He was the head of the Temple of Set, which was the, uh, the I think it was a offshoot from the, whatever was the main satanic religion around that time. Um, and so, yeah, he's been, <laughs> I've heard his name quite a few times. <laughs> in his involvement in programming, military-style programming. One of the people we were ministering to, um, and I'm going to make this as veiled as possible, but, um, yeah, there's an organization that has a lot of children that they take credit for getting out of um, um, out of human trafficking, and it is funded completely by um, the um, uh, Devil's Gate, California, the, the Jet Propulsion Labs, mm. which is where the Temple of Set and Ron uh, Parsons, Ron L. Hubbard and um, Parsons were to start that. And I'm going like, I, I, you and I have talked a little bit about this, how disturbing it is to find people that are involved in satanic ritual abuse claiming to help victims, claiming to have organizations, ministries that are um, helping overcome or, or helping survivors of human trafficking. And it's just, uh, it's just, a, you know, the, the cycle. It's on the front, they look like they're doing something good and it's a way of hiding what's going on um, getting money from people um, and putting people right back into the system. Have and you've seen that? I've I've heard that before. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, I haven't been able personally to verify any of that. <clears throat> yeah. Um, but I know that there is definitely suspicion about some of those organizations. Yeah. 
I think I probably know which one you're talking about. You're well, talking- no, this is one that most people wouldn't have heard of, but it's it's um it, because its headquarters is in a third world country, hmm. and but they house hundreds of children, and it was actually um one of the children of the founders that had come for ministry and even before they recovered any memories of anything they were just i'm asking the questions because i know what kind of questions to ask the longer you're in it the more you know what to ask and what to look for Mm -hmm. and at the end of our very first session i said do you know what your family's really doing and she said they're running an international human trafficking ring i never said a thing i'm just asking the questions and i'm going does does can you see a pattern do you see anything going on here and she put two and two together she was struggling with letting her children be seen and and she's talked about this um openly um and given me permission to talk about it before so um uh, we're gonna have her on as as a guest one time but that's a tough thing it's a tough thing for her because to bring some of that to light is to call out a well-funded Christian organization that supposedly fighting human trafficking and um, yeah. yeah yeah I think that's uh, like what you said about and I didn't really ask, I just asked her what is her family really doing I think that's there's kind of this misperception that there's all these mis, you know there's all these manipulative therapists that are leading people into false memories yeah but um, I mean at least from what the victims told me and the therapist that I've talked to that's not really yeah. That's not what happens. Yeah. And or they may ask something like, you know, they'll ask uh about like I don't know, Omega or some kind of the name of a program without getting into more detail and then just all this stuff comes out about uh you know <laughs> the ways that they were programmed within military settings. Things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think I mean we talked about the you know, the idea part of the disassociation is like, you don't want to admit what happened to you. Like you're trying to, you know, hide from it. So like, even if you do certain things you do remember, you're going to put a different like lens on it. You know, mm-hmm. people kind of do that for everything. Like you, you might've been abused by someone and it can take you a long time to admit that what that was, was abuse. You can just, you can change the name too. Yeah. I think, it, um, I, I mean, a lot of the people that I talk to, it's like, they're hoping that or that they feel like they're going crazy when they first have their memories and they're like, what is this? You know? And then they, they feel like they, they're hoping that <laughs> they can just take a pill or something and make it go away. But then they realize mm-hmm. that this actually happened to them. Yeah. Yeah. So how has this affected your career going down all of this? <laughs> uh, I'm sure there's people who are probably like, he's crazy. I mean, I haven't heard that. No one said that to my face, but I'm sure there's people who are probably are like, <clears throat> you know, think I'm a conspiracy theorist or something. Um, but I kind of don't really care. I mean, it's, I feel like this is really the most important issue as far as I can tell. And I feel like there should be more journalistic attention paid to it, but there seems not be. And in fact, I think the, the media has done really just like one of the most evil and horrific things that they could do by gaslighting victims and just like acting as though just sort of blanking blanketing allegations and calling them describing them as part of some kind of social or political panic and um yeah you saw that with with the coverage of the utah case and it was just really shameful in my opinion and Mm -hmm. uh, i think it was similar to be honest like i when i before I was got into all of this, I was covering a lot of education and critical race theory type of stuff. And it was a similar phenomenon where it's like the media almost sort of just ignores the, the content of the allegations and they just start trying to reframe it for people's per, the way that people consume it. So that they just pretend that it's just, it's some kind of panic or, or <laughs> falsehood that's being perpetrated. And, um, uh, yeah, it's really frustrating, but I am so glad. It's like, um, uh, what do they call it? Um, um, gosh, um, conspiracy theory. Conspiracy theory is no longer like the most taboo thing to have or be. It's kind of like because so many of the quote conspiracy theories are it's coming to light. I just heard from my wife last night. So I haven't verified this, but my wife is is a good researcher. But she was like, um, 
uh, Ted Kennedy Jr. Um, the the one that's um, known for anti-vaxxing. He's actually thinking of running for um, president, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, but he um, he said the evidence is now. Um, he has seen the evidence, and and it will be coming to light that John F. Kennedy was killed by the CIA. It's like there's a lot of people going, duh, but not not the world. But they're saying that's that that he has seen the evidence, and it is now about to become public knowledge. And I was like, wow. I mean, yeah, Tucker basically said that on his show, right? Like, yeah, he said he said that he had a source who claimed the CIA was involved in the assassination. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's kind of a joke, right? Like, there's, a, there's people making fun of it, <laughs> on uh, make, making fun of the idea that this was there was some kind of magic bullet that ended up ending JFK's life as on Seinfeld. They're talking about a magic loogie, and you know, it's just I don't know. It's kind of funny because it's yeah, they work hard to hide all this stuff, and but there's so many stories that are being recanted by mainstream media, um, mm-hmm. you know, because the 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 information is so easily found that for them to have any credibility left they're they're having to admit things mm-hmm. what was your experience with mainstream media <clears throat> with the the truth uh yeah it's so i was at fox before all of this um i'll just say i think that there there's definitely limits on what you can say and, um, yeah, I think, I mean, and there's obviously like variability, right? Like, I don't think that I would have been able to report as much or in, in the way that I did on critical race theory, if I was at like NBC or one of those outlets. Um, but I think that there's still, there are still limits on what you can say just generally. I'm not even specifically saying you know, a particular outlet. I just think that the the public needs to sort of be be more receptive to something before the media can go in depth on it, and um, which is a frustrating a reality because it's like, you know, what what role do you play as a journalist if you're trying to uncover truth? I mean, is it like you can't you can't talk about certain things even though they're true, right? <laughs> and so I I mean I try not to do that, and I think that. My main, my main interest is just educating the public on these things that I'm finding and saying, you know, the, the the prevailing narrative about, for example, the satanic panic is really just nonsense and incredibly irresponsible journalistically. And I think that people need to sort of broaden their horizons in terms of what they think is possible. You having worked for Fox, if you, is there any chance that any other major outlets would let you work there? any of the the mainstream media or are you blacklisted at having worked for Fox? <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I've, I, I'm probably blacklisted. I mean, especially now, like I wouldn't even, but before I was probably blacklisted in some ways and to be honest, I don't really care. I mean, I, I don't want to work for CNN. I don't want to work for NBC, especially and I don't want to work for the New York times. That's not the type of work that I want to do. I think a lot of what they do is dishonest and uh, I think they especially, are interested in furthering a particular narrative that I don't want to be a part of. Yeah. I heard someone talk about, they had, they were an intern at, um, I don't remember if it was CNN or NBC or where it was, but they said that it was, it was about, it wasn't, a, the accuracy was not as important about being the first to report on something. So when it came to different, like trending things, it was like, get something out there, get, get the conversation started and talking was more important a lot of times than, being accurate or the truth it was, it was almost like how the how it plays out how the general perception is more important than than accuracy yeah i think there's like an interesting conversation to be had about whether or not uh about nonprofit versus for-profit media just because there is such a high pr- pressure especially now in the digital age and the concern with clicks and ads and things like that and um yeah it's I guess I I don't know if I would be if I'm as concerned about that as I am about just um, there being sort of predominant narratives that silence certain realities from coming to light. 
What are some of those narratives from your vantage point? Um, well, I think that, I mean, I think that the, the education discussion surrounding critical race theory, that was a big thing um, in 2020, I think 2021, um, where you just had outlets sort of dismissing it, CNN even you know, said something like, these people don't even know what critical race theory is. And just like really disrespectful things to do to, to parents who are coming forward with like genuine concerns about their, their kids' education. And, um, I think that, uh, I think like the, that sort of thing. And then I think also the idea that there's elite trafficking going on. Um, and that's starting to change with, you know, like the Ghislaine Maxwell verdict and people are starting to demand, more information related to that, but even that's encountering roadblocks. Um, I think that the idea that there's an intelligence connection to some of these, this trafficking, that's probably something that needs to be explored more. And um, yeah, I think those are, I think those would be some of the intelligence is an oxymoron. (laughs) (laughs) Or actually it's, they need to invent a word because it's diabolical. It is, it is it's intelligent evil there's a lot of that where where do you get your news from uh i have a lot of google alerts that i look through okay um so that that's the main thing i kind of just look through those um sorry my dog is kind of being <laughs> is like, it's, i want some attention the, yeah, want yeah. Some um i give him some pretzels it's just that helps <laughs> um so yeah, um, sorry. What was the question again? <laughs> uh, where do you get your news? You said Google alerts. Yeah, Google alerts, um, Twitter. To be honest, a lot of this, a lot of me interviewing victims has made me sort of just tune out from a lot of the mainstream media because mm-hmm. when you listen to the victims, they talk about how there are these these interests at higher levels to. Um, perpetuate certain narratives within the media that you may not even realize are false narratives or sort of like distorted narratives. And um, Tucker was sort of getting at this too. I don't know if you saw, he had a video that came out recently, mm-hmm. but I think that they, you know, when you start hearing from victims and like the perpetrators that they say they're involved with or that, that have, that have committed these crimes and what they're involved with, the organizations they're involved with, you start just thinking, I don't even know if it's really worth me consuming that much news at the mainstream level. Um, like I try, and, and again, I was like in the middle of it. Like I was, you know, I've been a breaking news reporter. Um, I've been, uh, you know, on Capitol Hill interviewing senators and, um, trying to get the latest on whatever's happening. But I think that the reality in terms of what the victims say is so radically different than what we see in the news and what we think is actually going on that um to be honest i don't don't really consume mainstream news services anymore i mean i don't and i don't really go to Infowars either um you know i I don't really use those i kind of just look at what's going on on twitter um what do you think about that tucker carlson saying he's gonna go to twitter what are your thoughts on that it's good i mean i'm skeptical about um the numbers i I guess I'm, i'm skeptical about uh, what Tucker, what his interest is, um, mm-hmm. and what he's, what he wants to reveal. Um, what makes you, um, yeah. suspicious? Can you say? <clears throat> I, I don't really want to get into it at this okay. point. Okay. Yeah. No, I get you. Yeah. <clears throat> um, yep. But, uh, I like what he's doing. Otherwise, I think that it's great that he's challenging traditional narratives. I mean, that thing with him saying that about the CIA and, and the Kennedy assassination on one of his shows, I think everyone was, you know, a lot of people were like, oh, come on, like, let's go. You know, you should have, we, we all kind of knew this already, but still it was a big thing to say on primetime television. Oh, yeah. And, um, yeah. I just read a little bit about Trump being on CNN and I thought that's got to be fake news, but it was real. And they and it really backfired on them from what I hear because they went after stuff like the election fraud and uh, tried to make him look like an idiot. And he goes, everybody in the country knows. 
anybody who's denying that there was an election fraud is got their head in the sand. And I mean, like this guy didn't back down on one thing that they tried to, you know, that he's even under indictment and, 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 and it just supposedly like, like it was so well received in his favor and against CNN is what I heard. I haven't looked broadly, so it's just one article about it. Of course, the mainstream media is going to jump all over it, but yeah. um, but the more they do that, I think the more they are losing credibility yeah. and viewership. You, you Trump, the more Trump is losing credibility, or the more the media is like tonight. the more the media is 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 spinning false narratives that you are hard to deny. Mm-hmm. Is. I think yeah. I think like anytime you see there's this like knee jerk reaction to push a particular narrative or deny something, it's almost like, what, what are you trying to hide? You know. Yep. And I think that's what's happened with the election integrity. I think, you know, I haven't looked into that super in depth, but I think there's legitimate questions to ask. Yeah. And so, I think we should be able to have that conversation. That's yeah. the thing. Having a conversation seems to be almost impossible with anyone. Like it's pretty much like if you don't believe what I believe, you hate me and you hate everyone and you want us all to die. Like that's the, <laughs> yeah. the narrative that gets. And, and, and a, even a lot of the social media platforms are they are the moral police, the the truth police, and yeah. they definitely have an agenda. Yeah. Hold on one second. Sorry, my dog is sure. a little bit crazy. Dad, do you have Twitter? Do I have Twitter? I do have a Twitter account, but you, oh yeah, you have I like four Twitter accounts. I don't even know how to get Log on my in. Twitter account. I uh, I I confiscated one of your Twitter accounts Did for the you? Mullet Over Podcast. Yeah, I changed the name of it, the username, and the the image. It's now the Mullet Over Podcast, and it, it posts our podcast whenever it launches. Cool. So I'll have to get you, on. You there. still have two, at least two other podcasts or two other Twitter accounts. That somebody else has set some of those up. Like we had a guy that was doing social media yeah. for us. I'm sure he probably set one up. Yeah. And then... Well, you have two with your actual name, Richard Mole. One's like Richard D. Mole and one's Richard Mole. Really? Yeah. One of them you've never posted on. One of them you've posted on a couple of times. Oh. And I know it's you posted because it's not something that anyone else would post as a way to grow social media followers. Yeah. So... <laughs> I need yeah, to learn Twitter, don't I? I, I was going to say, I think that the... I'm really encouraged by a lot of what's happening, I think, in the media environment. And um, I'm hoping that there's like a balkanization sounds really bad, right? Like, the, And it sounds like something that entails a lot of chaos and disorder. But I'm really hoping that there's going to be um, – I'm glad that there's all these different shows and things emerging, you know, podcasts and different sources of information and so that there's not as much centralized power – and it's usually like it wouldn't be a problem if there wasn't, if you know, there was centralization of um, power within the media, but um, you just don't see certain things covered or talked about. And so well, I, I think my generation, you know, I don't know how old you are, but I like they we don't watch mainstream media. Like, I don't know anyone my age who watches or has ever watched mainstream media. It's <laughs> it's Twitter. It's social media. It's it's YouTube. It's podcasts. Like you're saying, like, yeah. You know, which I mean, is, my my mom is a pretty loyal Fox News uh, viewer. <laughs> she watches it all day, like every night. She's got it on, and uh, my dad watches it a lot. And um, so, yeah. But I think there's like there's definitely a generational divide. And um, yeah, yeah. But like, I don't really know anyone who watches, for example, CBS Evening News or those different evening news broadcasts. What's that? You know, no, CBS. I'm just kidding. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. Like, yeah so, like they, they have these these broadcasts, and um, I mean, that's I the only like, news we used to have. That was right. like you lived for that thirty minute segment or hour long segment every night, you know, right. and picked your poison, I guess. But you, you respected it, and you respected the hosts, and <clears throat> and uh, <laughs> so. Um, that's done now though <laughs> yeah oh yeah, like, oh, yeah. And rather and you know some of that stuff that happened yeah. um yeah with the bush bush election i think that they, they've kind of uh and, and then just the rise of conservative media i think has kind of tanked the the mainstream media's credibility so what do you mean explain that 
there's been a, there's just been a lot of alternative sources that are showing what parts of certain stories that the mainstream media are hiding. Um, so like before I was at uh, Fox, I was at some other outlets, and then I was also at the Media Research Center. And part of my job was to watch these evening news broadcasters, you know, <laughs> go in and, and um, look at fact, what them. Fact and, check? Yeah, fact check. Wow. Just see, like, what they were, yeah, see what they were leaving out. And some of it was just shocking. Mm. These are, like, the standard bearers for journalism, right? So, and, and you have them doing things that are really. Um, and your education and your grooming, was that encouraged? Was that. Um, to like explained away or... just in, in as you were being groomed to be a, a journalist, were you being prepared that that's the way it goes or were you taught one thing and then you hit the real world and it's different? Um, I think it's a little bit of that. Yeah. You're taught one thing and then it, you hit the road and it's different. I mean, I didn't go to school for journalism, so my introduction into journalism was more through uh, conservative media and and um, actually looking at what the mainstream. You know, I was looking at what the mainstream outlets were doing and seeing how they were distorting things. And mm. um, yeah, you sort of get the sense that. I, I mean, from my perspective, it's like there the the way that the media, the mainstream media, acts. They create this. Um, uh, a sort of adversarial relationship with the people. And so then I think the people end up turning to other sources and those sources end up creating, they develop narratives of their own and uh, some of them are good and they're true. Um, but uh, there, there have been complaints, for example, that I don't, that conservative media doesn't produce enough journalism, like actual investigative journalism, that it's a lot more counter programming, I guess you could say. Mm, um, yeah. Yeah. So um, I was hearing – I heard Megan Kelly's response to Tucker Carlson's um, firing yeah. and that was pretty interesting. One of the things that I, – I, I, I've wanted to go back because there was a couple of things I wanted to write down. Um, but um, she just rattled off. She goes, you can't say anything that one of these – and she like named six names, people, that doesn't agree with the, what these six people are willing to, to say. And I was like, she, I mean, she just called it out, just blunt. Like, it doesn't matter what, you know, platform you have in mainstream media. Mm -hmm. If these six people don't like what's being said, you know, it's, one of these six, really you, won't, you won't, won't be, make the news. Yeah. yeah. And I guess it's the owners and Mark top producers. Elon and Musk. Yeah, I don't remember. But she just rattled the names off so fast. I was like, I want to go back and write those names down yeah. and research them. <laughs> Um, I have to look into that, yeah. I mean, if you look at who owns these media companies, right? It's a, yep. it's a lot of the same a lot of the same people, a lot of the same who people. own the fact check companies. Yeah. That's interesting. Really? Yeah. Really looked into that. Yeah, some of them were started off with like real, real serious fact checkers, and then they were bought and forget fact checking ever again. <laughs> they, they 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 now it's it's just um, uh, another way of keeping the narrative. Yeah. yeah, I mean, like Mark Zuckerberg testified in court to the Supreme Court that the CIA and the FBI said, "Hey, block these things for these days and that stuff," and that they they're like, "Well, if the government tells you to do it, you do it." Like that's like that's not conspiracy theory. That's <laughs> yep. under oath. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, it's um it's uh yeah, you have to look past who the the hosts are. You have to look past who what your favorite personalities are saying and look at who is actually who owns the the actual organization. And uh it's crazy how much like I mean the LGBT quote unquote LGBT narrative, like all of that has been just pretty much adopted by any any mainstream organization there's not really a lot of pushback on that um you know again like you'll have ho you'll you'll have individual personalities talking about it but um yeah it's uh as a whole it's different yeah what, what do you think about cancel culture cancel culture 
it's it seems pretty fascistic i guess <laughs> uh-huh. right um yeah the idea that we're gonna shut down someone because they have because they're saying something that's been common sense for like centuries you know and, and, <laughs> <laughs> i mean really like saying a man can't be a woman and that type of stuff will just get you get you canceled at the same time i think because of the way that the the way that elites seem to be governing these organizations and the way that they all seem to be connected and following a, a single script i think it's good when conservatives can fight back and say we're going to we're not going to buy your product anymore right like with budweiser i think that's kind of the only check at this point and um that seems to be more organic too, right? Like I don't think I don't know if there's. I know, for example, Matt Walsh has called for a, a, a bat, like some kind of boycott of Budweiser, but uh, the <laughs> you know the 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 drop in sales that they saw. I don't. I don't. I think that was more organic, and, and not something that was like centrally planned in any kind of way. I I love the story of the boycott of Chick Fil A. You, you familiar with that one? Yeah. Oh my gosh, love it. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, and it shows good. that the world does not believe the silent the the majority the, the mainstream flow. We had a guest on who um, got to college, and um, in another state, you know, so he comes from the south, goes up north, and they ask him, and and they're introducing the first night in the dorms. Give us your name, and where you come from, and your pronoun. <laughs> And he's there with another guy from Tampa, and he looks at each other. He goes, do you know what they're talking about? And they're like, <laughs> no idea. <laughs> and he said that everybody knew how to play along, but he said most of the people had grown up rural, were conservative, and didn't believe in any of it and would be would be real with you, but they had to play the game. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, that's <laughs> it's crazy. Well, as people just using, you know, people you thought were conservative or are using pronoun alternative pronouns now, and it's like what what happened? What like are you just abandoning truth at this point? Are you not interested in, in telling the truth anymore? Or are you just kind of I don't know. Uh, what is truth at this point? Like they're like what what Pilot. what does people want to you know hold like? Is it what the mainstream media says? Is it the opposite? Like, I don't know the the arguments and the the the, the arguments that happen are not about let's find truth. Yeah, I think that's. So. I think it's true that there. It's hard. There's kind of like this new discussion about what is truth and how can we really confirm things? How can we know things for sure? Um, but at the same time, like using alternative pronouns, that is like an ideologically oh driven. That's like an ideologically driven lens on the truth yeah. where it's deliberately obfuscating what is true. Oh, yeah. Right? So it's like that that's a situation where you know that they're following some kind of ideology, whether they want to admit it or not. And when they do, they're yeah, they're it's not it's not in the same vein as um, we're gonna cite this or use this fact or, or cite this account because we're not sure what exactly is true or like we're gonna have a philosophical discussion about what truth is, right? It's I mean even like the like you're saying like okay the the whole pronoun thing right like what they have said like the science to back it has changed every three weeks or there's no consensus like if you ask you know matt walsh is what is a woman like none of them can answer because they're like we're all fighting for something that we have no idea what we're fighting for we just know this right, is what we have to and, do and that's what's like so interesting is that there's just such a conceited um totalitarian like impulse to shut down discussion on this issue or just to like set the narrative and but but it's just there at the very basis of it there's this contradiction um there's a basic contradiction which is that you know they people say that there's um that there are certain things certain criteria make your woman while other people say <clears throat> other criteria make your woman and it's just like it's all within the same movement and people know i think instinctively that it's just false and that it's ridiculous and so they I don't. I don't think it's going to last that long. I it's guess. not really a, de- a debate that they can win. You don't. You you don't think it's going to last? Yeah, I, I don't. I don't because I think that it's different than, for example, "quote unquote" gay marriage, where that's more of something where it's like I, I think you kind of convince people 
you know, well, this this makes someone comfortable. This makes someone happy. This is like their own lifestyle. But when you talk about forcing people to say something that they know is just so obviously untrue, right? Like transgenderism, quote unquote, transgenderism contains such it embodies contradictions. It's not just that it like that these are abstract sort of ideas that you have to like think about. It's just people on a visceral level know that it's untrue. And so, um, and I think it's also, it's going to, I mean, as a movement, even if you don't uh, forget the people that are, that are like, this is just ridiculous, right? Like there's just so much um, failure within the movement. You have all these detransitioners coming out and they, they're like, yeah, this was crazy. This was like, this was me trying to cope with something that I personally had to, you know, I wasn't dealing with the issue itself. I was trying to deal with my depression, my OCD, whatever, through yeah. hormone therapy. And um, this is, again, like corroborated by Hannah Barnes. She did, She's a BBC reporter who released a book on um, the, the main gender identity clinic in the UK and she tries to say that this does not discredit transgenderism in general, but I think it does, right? Like I think, I think it shows just how contradictory the philosophy is. Um, you know, she talks about like uh, one one of her examples is, is a boy who was told to transition when he was suffering with symptoms from OCD. And the basic gist of what she's saying is like, you know, they should have dealt with this. And it's interesting if you listen to Walt Heyer, who's a, a former. <clears throat> he's a man who tried to become a woman and tried living that way for a while. But he said, when he talks to kids who have been in, um, who have gone through or are seeking transition, you know, purported transition that he often asks them, what is it about yourself that you hate so much that you, you feel like you need to change it. And, um, it's, it's really interesting too. like going back to satanic ritual abuse. When you hear victims talk about altars and the way that they respond to trauma and how they split their minds. Mm. It's like, yep. it's like you start looking at some of these people on. Yeah. Oh, 100%. 100%. Yeah. A high percentage of people that we've ministered to have parts that are um, a alternate, the other sex. And what's interesting is a lot of times I think I'm going to get some kind of mind control programming or satanic ritual abuse or horrific abuse. And a lot of times the, 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 the reason for that part being what it is, is there's one one time attractive, young, godly Christian woman is here. We connect with this part and the name was Matthew. And I'm like, okay, what are we going to get to? Well, as a five-year-old mom didn't want to see her. And, um, you know, mom was in the house doing stuff and said, just stay out here devastating and um and then she's like the boys get to do these things and the girls get to do these things i want to be a boy mm-hmm. and it was like like from that point on it, it was like struggle. She, she grows up fully woman never thought of being a man but that one day that trauma you know that wasn't even like we deal with real traumas. Every trauma is a real trauma, whether it's perceived trauma or an actual trauma. This was a very strongly perceived trauma, like abandonment, rejection. But, um, but then the it was childlike way of dealing with it. It was like I gotta figure out life now. So, I the boys look like they're having more fun than the girls. I'm gonna you know what five year old hasn't has that not run through their mind? It doesn't mean that that's who they are. It's just a, but you know, God healed that part. It was amazing. How, how can we hold the media accountable? Because I mean, there's misinformation. There's like some of the stuff you're talking about, like, like, you know, BBC's reporting this, like, like that's like abuse on a kid to try Mm -hmm. to convince a kid to do that. Like, that's like, like, I think that's criminal. You know what I'm saying? Like how can like when the media is like, is is pushing pretty much criminal activity when the narratives come out that they're wrong and it just kind of disappears. Like how, how do we hold them accountable? I don't know if that makes sense. Well, I mean, get a stop. (sighs) I think you just got to stop watching, stop listening to them. um, And uh, openly criticize them. I mean, I really think that, 
I mean, I haven't looked at the numbers on this, but like, I do think that the that the conservative movement has done a pretty good job of tarnishing the mainstream media's reputation. So when I yeah. when I looked at the top ten shows, now I haven't done deep research. It was before one of our podcasts. I just did a quick search. Top ten shows were all Fox, hmm. and I was like, I, I didn't see anybody else listed, so I didn't keep going down. But it was like top ten were all Fox. Tucker Carlson was two, right below the five. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. I used to do. I used to do the ratings. Uh, like when I before I was at Fox, there was another outlet, and we would report on the TV ratings. So I'd get those from uh, Nielsen, which is a market research company, or I would get them from. Fox would give, I would get them through, basically I was getting Nielsen data. Um, And they were talking about, you know, it'd show like Fox would be uh, beating out MSNBC and CNN combined. (laughs) Oh yeah, that's what they were showing. The numbers combining two of the bigger, uh, you know, um, non-conservative ones. And their numbers, you know, were way less still combined. (laughs) I I don't feel like Fox has as big of a uh, influence though in this in the country like i feel like oftentimes the influence well it's one station against how many or what yeah so numerically but, but even if numerically they're beating out the i don't know two, i think they're, I, know. I think their influence is bigger maybe okay yeah they're, they're definitely i mean they still have a huge audience and um but that's gonna that seems to be changing with tucker leaving yeah like the, they've their ratings have dropped um and they've just objectively done things to betray their audience. Like, they, yeah, they've done things like pro-trans segments, and it's like, you know, you, you can't go be well. surprised when you start losing viewers or yeah. people get really angry at you. Yeah. What do you think about the Babylon Bee? <laughs> uh, they're interesting. I don't know. I, I I've, I've definitely laughed very very hard at some of their, <laughs> at some of their content. Uh, and uh, I think they play a good role in keeping the media in check. Yeah. Yeah. I saw it was a CNN reporter uh, commented on one of their Twitter posts. And uh, like when they got their Twitter back, it, they, they Babylon B posted something about how um, they, they were making fun of themselves, saying that they only have, you know, two jokes to make or whatever. And the CNN reporter said, I think we've misunderstood these guys. I think they're way funnier than we realized if they're able to like have the self-awareness to make fun of themselves and all this different stuff. It was pretty funny. Yeah. Yeah. I enjoy them. Yeah. I enjoy them. uh, Who's the, um, common, like the guy online that I can never remember his name. Um, red hair, long hair. Oh, JP Sears. JP Sears. I just really enjoy your voice. I'm I think people should comment it. if the, we should, he should just keep this voice moving forwards. Yeah. No, JP yeah. Sears. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. And and he became a Christian. And then when I first told Andrew, he's like, no, he's I was like, that's a, gotta be satire. It's he's satire. gotta be making fun of people. And I was like, if, if it is, it's the best satire I've ever seen. And, uh, do you know who say JP Sears is? <clears throat> yeah. I've seen okay. him before. Yeah. Yeah. So that was pretty cool. Yeah. There's, I mean, he's not the only kind of like personality, digital personality. I'm trying to think of who exactly, but I've seen other people talk about how they're converting to Christianity or at least considering God at this point. And yeah. you know, they come from more secular backgrounds. It's kind of yeah. interesting. I mean, yeah. it shows you that the the narrative of like uh, Christianity being outdated and just kind of like uh, it's inevitable it's going to fall away with these developments in culture, I think is not true. <clears throat> nope. And some, of, and some of what they're doing is – um, I think some of the ways that the media is acting is so <clears throat> arrogant and just blatantly like against what the people believe right there. And it's not, it's not a matter of reporting truth. Like they're not being tr- courageous truth tellers. They're pushing <laughs> ideologies and ideas and sort of setting narratives that are just blatantly against what people believe. And I think that they've kind of overplayed their hand in some ways. How much, okay. I, I- who is like the highest up person at Fox? How old is the highest up executive at Fox? Um, I think it's Rupert Murdoch. Yeah. And how, and some, how old is some, he? He's really, I think maybe like in his eighties. I'm not sure. Okay. So yeah. same with CNN, NBC. There's like a lot of old blood. Is there going to be a change when, 
will they put in someone younger who has a little bit better chance at connecting with other people a little bit more open-minded well, or? Is, so that rupert's son is taking over or has taken over in some <laughs> sense i'm not sure who has more power at this point but um yeah rupert's son is, is i heard he was he was the one that pulled the trigger on um Tucker Carlson. I'm not sure though. Was it Lachlan? I thought it was Rupert. I, th- I heard something about. I think Rupert went to. Maybe. Yeah. I, I trust you more than me, so. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know exactly. I was surprised when I saw that because I thought that it was mostly Lachlan who was in charge, but um, it seems as though Rupert is still pulling some strings too, and um, yeah. Um, I write a lot for uh, live action news. It's like um, the the pro-life organization. So I write for them a fair amount. Um, I write for the Epic Times and uh, sometimes LifeSite as well. Yeah, you can follow me. Uh, my Twitter is just Dorman in DC. Yeah. I don't. I'm just working on uh, uh, just trying to investigate the ritual abuse angle more. Um, just and I'm trying to uh, put something out about you know the the trauma and the healing that they go through. So okay, sounds good. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Appreciate it.